All right, would you please turn with me again to Deuteronomy chapter 26? Last time, a sweet view of a first fruit ceremony and of a third year tithe ceremony that point to the day when everything will be done and we'll stand with him in glory. And oh, it's so good. But also good things tonight. Tonight we're talking about God's relationship with us. So more sweet things from Deuteronomy, from the law. Uh, Deuteronomy 26, starting at verse 16. This is also the end of, we've just looked at all the Ten Commandments as they're exposited for a long time, and, and here's the end of this whole section, verse 16, Deuteronomy 26, 16. This day, the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor, high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we've come to you because we know where to go for all good things. And these are the things we need more than we need bread. We need to hear something from your word, from your mouth, O Lord. So we pray that you would use your servant, O Lord, to express this passage clearly. Lord, so we might see the glories of our relationship with you, so we might see the height and the depth and the length of the breadth, your love that surpasses all knowledge for us, O Lord, surpasses all understanding. Lord, also so that we might go forth and bear fruit. All these things we pray. Whatever else you'd accomplish in us, we're surrendered. We're just here at your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you think about it, I think every relationship in your life is a little different. They're different in their expectations. They're different in their commitments. They're different just by their very nature. You have a relationship with your friends that looks different from your relationship with your parents that looks different from your relationship with your coworkers. And tonight we get to spend some time talking about your relationship with God, the most important of all relationships. So this point, like I said before, we've come to the end of Moses' exposition of the Ten Commandments in this law, or the end, if you're keeping track, the end of the stipulations section of the covenant, where the covenant Lord lays out, here are my expectations, here, here's what I want from you. But more than all that, this passage also seems to be looking back on some sort of covenant renewal ceremony that Israel went through these verses seem to cut to the heart of Israel's covenant with God because in these verses we find out that that day, that that day that they're reading these things, both sides express their commitment to each other. Probably a very exciting day. Verse 17 says, you have declared today. And verse 18 says, the Lord has declared today. Because Deuteronomy was probably first read to the people as a covenant document and after it was read, Israel declared, we are committed to the Lord, and God declared, and I'm committed to my people. Sounds a lot like wedding vows, doesn't it? So in a lot of ways, our passage for tonight is a DTR. Parents, that means it's a determine the relationship talk. 
that you'd have with somebody. This is a moment when God and his people, again, they're coming together to really determine the relationship. So tonight we're looking at God's beautiful covenant relationship with his people. We'll look at it in terms first of its nature, its expectations, and then its commitments. And in the process, we'll brush up on our covenant theology. If you're learning more about covenant theology, this is the night for you. So, okay, these three things. First, let's just look at the nature of the relationship. I want to say tonight that all relationships have a different kind of nature to them. They're defined by how two people come together into the relationship. They're, they all revolve around some sort of central defining feature, some kind of thing. You've got mother-daughter relationships. They're initiated by the mother, obviously, because she brings the daughter into the world, and they revolve around a shared home and shared memories and a blood tie, genetics, and all these things. Friend relationships, they start usually around a common interest, or you're put together in some way, and they're maintained by reciprocation. I do things for you, you do things for me, and we're friends. And the thing about God's relationship is it's different than these other natures. God's relationship is completely gracious by nature. It's 100% initiated by God's grace. It's his idea. He brings it about. It's 100% maintained by God's grace. It's performed by God's grace. And I think a lot of people read sections like this in Deuteronomy, they make a critical mistake. They think, well, God's relationship with his people here is entirely law-centered. They say, well, it looks like you have to keep God's law to get in, or uh, if you keep his law, then he'll treasure you. That's his promise. That's what they think it's saying. What I want to say to you tonight is that that couldn't be any more wrong. I want you to remember what lies behind this entire covenant ceremony. There's a, something going on before all these vows, before God and his people come together. Remember that this relationship was totally initiated by God. He set his love on this people centuries before they knew the law. He came and made himself known to this people when they're slaves. Their relationship is 100% initiated by God's grace, not by the keeping of the law. Also remember that this relationship was upheld by God's performance. He upheld this relationship. He delivered his people through mighty works. He guided them through a dangerous wilderness. And when his people sinned, he stuck with them and gave them a means of atonement that foreshadowed the big means of atonement in Christ. This relationship is 100% not only initiated by God, but it's dependent on the performance of God's grace. All grace. And the grace is here, even just in the language of our passage. You see it in verse 18. It says, God declared his people to be a treasured possession according to promise. Verse 19 says, God would exalt, sanctify his people according to his promise. Now, whenever God promises things to a sinful people, whenever God promises things completely apart from a people ever deserving it, that's grace. It's God's grace bringing these promises. Thus, God has monergistically, that means on his own, and sovereignly by his power, chosen, then saved, and then blessed this people his covenant relationship with his people is gracious throughout. All grace, start to finish, I guess there is no finish, start to forever, uh, it's gracious by its very nature. That's the nature of this relationship. Now, 
let's apply this a little bit. I, I'm sure that somebody here tonight needs to hear this because I always need to hear this. Because maybe you've slipped into believing that your relationship with God uh, is a law-centered relationship. Uh, we're so prone to this because it's usually how things work in this world. You think, well, he only chose me because I'm good. He only loves me because of what I bring to the table. And surely he's not going to stick with me if I stop bringing that to the table. And if I really blow it, well, I'm, I'm sure he's really done with me then. Well, I hope it comforts you to hear tonight that these things could not be more untrue. Because grace lies at the center of your relationship with God. You've never deserved anything from him. You've never deserved his election. You didn't deserve his salvation. You didn't deserve his blessing. The only thing you ever deserved, what you earned, was uh, death and hell. But by grace, he set his love on you. By grace, he saved you. By grace, he's keeping you. And it was all his free choice, free, uncoerced choice, because he's the God who said, he said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. He's chosen to be gracious to you. It's his decision. And once he makes that decision, it never changes. At the center of your relationship, this is the nature of your relationship, is God's free and his fixed choice to love you forever. And you should rest in that. That's our first application. So remember, we're talking about three things about our relationship with God tonight, our covenant relationship. We're talking about the nature of this relationship. Now let's talk about the expectations on this relationship. I think even just a surface reading of this passage, probably the most obvious thing that comes through is God's expectations for his people. Because four times in four verses, maybe even five times if you count it a little differently, God tells his people, okay, so now obey my laws. Do what I say. It's implied that faith is expected, because how can you obey a God without believing in him and thinking that it's worth it? But obedience is, a, is it's the emphasis here, isn't it? It's described in a lot of different ways from different angles. Poke the bush, see what flies out, different angles. It's, verse 16 describes active obedience. It says, God commands you to do these statutes and rules. He wants you to do something. God doesn't want his people to be lazy or sluggish and he wants us to obey zealously. Verse 16 then says, it describes genuine obedience. He says, you shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart, all your soul. God doesn't want his people to be hypocrites, just going through motions. He wants his people to be really into it. Verse 17 describes consistent obedience. It says, you have declared that you will walk in his ways. That's talking about a habit. That's talking about a pattern. God doesn't want his people just kind of faltering or going their own way. He wants them to follow him and walk consistently. Then the second half of verse 17 describes attentive obedience. You have declared that you will keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. That word for obey in Hebrew also means hear. That's why the ESV translates that you will obey his voice, that you'll hear his voice. Because God wants his people to listen to him. He wants us to be attentive to the things he has to say. Not ignore him. Not ignore our covenant relationship with him. And so, yeah, what God wants from his people, the expectation he has for his people, is vigorous, 
sincere, consistent, attentive obedience. He wants it from the heart. He wants it to flow out of a relationship with him. And if we're still thinking of this as a DTR, uh, let's just say this is God's love language. This is what he wants from you. You say, well, God, how can I love you? What can I bring to you? He says, okay, I want my people to trust me and to obey me. Unless you think, oh, well, this is all just Old Testament stuff. We don't really obey, obey God anymore. We're under grace now. Well, well, look what Jesus says in John 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's John 14, 15. Or in case you missed it, John says it again in his letter. 1 John 5, in verse 3, he says, For this is the love of God, the love for God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So I'm sure I, have, I, I don't have to tell you that a lot of people aren't really fans of things like this in the covenant. Some people, and I understand it, some people have been burned by legalistic churches that thought law was at the center, and they were burned for a long time, and I understand that. Some people are always looking for ways to be easy on themselves so they can keep their sins. You can go either way. You can, be, you can be at a church that was too dependent on the law for your relationship with God and churches that said, well, you don't have to worry about the law at all. It'd be antinomian on the other side. And so a lot of people will say, no, no, Pastor Osser, this is legalism. God doesn't require anything of us. It's, it's all grace. He has no expectations for his people. Well, well, that's true as far as justification is concerned. You contribute nothing to be counted righteous in God's courtroom. He says, not guilty because Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe. That's 100% true. We've already seen, I, I went to pains to show you, your relationship with God is thoroughly grace-centered from start through the finish. And, but that doesn't mean your, your relationship with God has no expectations on it. Now, on the most basic level, even in justification... Your right relationship with God requires perfect obedience. You say, gasp. Did he just say that? Well, yeah. Uh, that's why the good news of the new covenant is that Jesus met those requirements for you with his own perfect obedience. He still wants perfect obedience. It's just that Jesus stepped in the gap and said, here's your perfect obedience. I am your perfect obedience. Our covenant Lord requires perfect obedience, and he accepts Jesus on our behalf. But then going a little deeper, this is where I really want to go with this. Even though Jesus has saved us, brought us into right relationship with God, he still has expectations for us. He still wants us to obey him. This shouldn't come as a surprise. It shouldn't surprise you because all relationships work this way. All love relationships, all unconditional love relationships still have expectations for you to be in relationship with somebody. Your mom, Hope, loves you unconditionally even if you sin your mom's still gonna love you she can't help it she loves you no matter what but she can still expect she can still have expectations for you she can still say oh if you're in a relationship with me then i still expect maybe you'll vacuum the van for me sometimes maybe you'll bring me flowers on mother's day and i'm giving you some really good ideas kids and or or your spouse loves you unconditionally too i hope that's what they're supposed to do but they still want you to be romantic sometimes, right? They still want you to help out around the house because you're together. You're in relationship for crying out loud. It's the same with God. 
He elects you, he saves you, he keeps you by grace, all by grace. His love for you is not dependent on your performance, but he's your friend, he's your father, he's your God. He still wants you to obey him. He still wants you to be a part of a relationship with him. All this to say, Christian, get rid of any idea that you might have that obeying the Lord is somehow optional. Don't read his commands and think, okay, well, I'll get to that someday because he doesn't really care. He's cool with it. Or even worse, don't read what God wants from you and think, well, I'm under grace, so it really doesn't matter if I do this or not. This little passage is screaming at you, yes, it matters. You're in a relationship with him. Following his commands is how you practically show him that you love him. Because you're listening and you, you think what he thinks is best and you want to do it. You want to make him smile. Of course, now get this. You're not in covenant with God because of your obedience. You're in covenant with him because of Jesus' obedience. But at the same time, he brought you into, into a covenant with him to the end that you will obey him. That's why he brought you in to the relationship. And so, yes, obey him vigorously. Obey him sincerely. Obey him consistently. Obey him attentively. This is what it looks like to love him. That's what he wants from you. So that's our second piece about this relationship, this covenant relationship. It's gracious by nature. He still expects you to obey him. And now let's talk about the commitments of this relationship. Because we've mostly been talking so far about our side of the covenant relationship. Our side is to trust in Christ, trust in Christ's obedience, and then obey God because we're so grateful. That's our side. That's our side of the covenant. But the more exciting thing to talk about is God's side of the covenant. It's the part that I'm, I've been excited to get to. Uh, it's to talk about the commitments that God makes to his people. It's worth noting again, well, this is all grace. God doesn't have to commit to anything in relation to you. It's actually an astounding condescension, when you think about it, that God makes commitments, that he binds himself to make commitments to creatures. Have you ever thought of that? Just think, God Almighty makes unfathomable commitments to you, and once he does, they never end. Forever and ever. And so just look with me for a moment at all the beautiful things that God commits to do for his people here. Remember, at this point, what's in the background, he's already elected his people. He's actually already saved his people. He's already brought this people into covenant. Now here's what he says. Here's the things he's going to do for them. Verse 18, he reminds us that he is committed to making his people his treasure. Moses writes, the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you. God's committed to set his heart on his people. They go, oh, he doesn't love me that much today. Oh, no, he does. He's committed to set his heart on his people. He's committed to bestow his identity on his people, the identity of a king's special horde. That's what that word means. A king, you're part of God's special hoard just for him. You ever have something that you keep back from your company, keep back from your kids, you hide away your, your special hoard. 
You are part of God's special word. This is the good stuff. This is my stuff. God said, I'm, I'm making you that. You're that to me. God commits to set his people aside for himself to delight in forever. Then in verse 19, here's the second commitment. He commits to set his people on high. Moses writes, he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor, high above all the nations that he's made. Now this is an interesting one, because this language is usually reserved for God. Verse 19 says, he will set you Elyon. Some of you are saying, oh, that's one of God's names, Elyon. Uh, it means on high. And God is usually called El Elyon. Uh, that's our word for God Most High. And so we see that God Most High is committed to exalting his people high, highly. That's flabbergasting to me. Specifically, he says, okay, I'll, I'll lift you high in these ways. He commits to lift his people up in, he says, praise, in fame, and in honor. In praise, because we'll have his commendation. We'll have his approval. Well done. Look at my servant Job. Look at my servant John. Look at my servant Anne. In praise, because we'll have his commendation. Divine commendation. In fame, because, well, we'll walk with his bestowed identity. Uh, his renown in honor because we'll reflect his glory, reflect his excellence as he remakes us. Imagine that God has committed to exalt you. Think of the moment when he finally exalts you. Ooh. Not because God's people are so wonderful, but like King Ahasuerus says to Esther, it's because this is what shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And in Jeremiah, God shows us, he picks up this same language from Deuteronomy. Jeremiah does this a lot. Jeremiah shows us what's God's purpose in all of this. Jeremiah 33.8, quoting this, he says in Jeremiah 33.8, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory or honor before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity that I provide for it. God's doing all of this. So he might hold you up and pour blessing after blessing after blessing on you forever, infinite blessing on you forever, so that all the world can stand and watch and go, wow, God is really good at blessing. Hmm. And then one more commitment. Are you ready for another one? We keep going. Uh, verse 19, God commits. He says, I'll make my people holy. Oh, the older a Christian you are, the more you get excited about that. That God says he's going to make you holy. I remember when I was a kid, I wasn't that excited about being holy because holy was that stiff word. And I thought, oh, oh, but the older you get, to be holy. To be holy. He says, a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. 
You know, we already started to see this. God promised, I'll make you a treasured possession. Holy means set apart. He says, I'll make you my treasured possession. That's holy. We saw this. God promised to exalt his people over all the nations. You're a better nation. You're higher above them. That, that's holiness. Separated high and holy. He makes it explicit here. He says, I have committed to set my people apart as holy. And a big part of holiness is he's committed to separate us entirely from our sin. So again, I, I would remind you, going back to basics, God has not committed to save his people because they're holy. No, no. God saved his people so that he might make them holy. It's so crucial you get that, that order. I'll say it again. God has not committed to save you because you're so holy. He has saved you so that he might make you holy. He saved you so that he might make something of you. He saved you so he might treasure you for himself, yes, and exalt you to demonstrate how good he is, yes. He's making you holy so he can show his goodness everywhere. Like Ephesians 1 says, he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And so the deeper you get into this Christian life, the more you see holiness is the real honor. Holiness isn't the way into his love. It's actually not some optional byproduct of his love. God's high purpose for you is to make you holy. It's the purpose for which you've been saved. The highest honor of your life is that you've been set apart for a relationship with God. Cleaned up for his use. I read of Enoch in Genesis, and I think he walked with God and was no more. I said there's no, no better thing that could be said of a man that he walked with God. No better thing about a man that he's set apart and he's God's. God's personal treasure. And he's committed to that. Wholly committed to making you holy. All right. Well, let's start to conclude with a reasonably long conclusion. So, I do those. Now, to conclude, let's just take everything we've been talking about and, and ratchet it up one more because that's what we do in the New Covenant. We take all these beautiful things here and we just ratchet them up. That's what Christ did. So, when you read about this covenant relationship in Deuteronomy, it's It's stunning. If you really enter into what's being promised here, this vow ceremony that's being referred to here, it's stunning to hear God declare these things and, and his people declare these things and say, God treasures you and is exalting you in true holiness. You go, yes, please. But the good news for you is it just gets better for you as a Christian. The good news for you as a Christian is not only do you have this same relationship that's being described here, but it's only been upgraded in the New Covenant. It's only gotten better in the New Testament. Because now your relationship with God will count four ways that it's better. Now it's clearer. So much clearer. Now you know, how could God have a relationship with me? Well, now you know even more clearly how he did it. How he could have a relationship with a sinner like you. It's because Jesus kept all your covenant requirements. Because Jesus took all of the consequences for your disobedience. The covenant of grace was made with his blood. We'll celebrate in a moment. 
So it's clearer. Not only is your relationship with God clearer, now you know exactly how you stand. It's also so much more fully realized. Here in Deuteronomy, God's committed to make of you all these things. He's committed to exalt you, to make you holy. And first, Peter picks, Peter, uh, Peter picks up this commitment. He says, well, this is you. This is you. He says in First Peter, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says it's even more realized, even more full. Not only is it more fully realized in you, but it's also been expanded. You're Gentiles. Most of you are Gentiles. You're proof that it's been expanded. Notice he doesn't just say this to ethnic Jews anymore in the desert, those born into the nation of Israel. He says this to people from every nation on the face of the earth. So in this new commandment, your relationship is clearer. It's more fully realized. It's even more greatly expanded. And I want to say one more. It's it's my favorite one. It's also so much more, it's so much closer, so much more intimate. Because God's not just presiding over you anymore, like in the Old Testament. He's indwelling you. Colossians 1 marvels at this. Colossians 1 gives us some of this wonder that God chose to make known among the Gentiles the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So now you don't just have this call to obedience from Deuteronomy 26 in a new covenant era. You have his spirit writing the law in your heart. You have his spirit growing growing new love for you in your heart. You have his spirit changing you, helping you to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's so much closer, so much more intimate, so much fuller, so much... So at the end of all this, we'll just take stock. Let's just look at this. Let's just step back. We looked at so many trees. Let's look at the forest. At the end of all this, just take stock of the relationship that you have with God Most High. He has been gracious to you from beginning through forever. He's given you grace, lavish, abundant, unfathomable grace to the end that he might make something of you, something high, something holy, something for himself. And if all this is true for the people in Moses' day, if they had a beautiful relationship with him, then that relationship has only grown clearer and fuller and larger and closer in Jesus Christ, the righteous. So, we're back to maybe the main focus of this. So now, what do you do? What do you do to show your love for a God like that? A God that's done all that for you. Well, he's told you what he wants. In case you missed it, he said it four or five times here. He says he wants you to trust him, but he wants you to obey his commands. I'm sure there's people here tonight, maybe you're wrestling through something in your life. There's a sin that you're like, oh, I can't let go of it. Love it too much, maybe later. And the Lord is saying, oh, daughter, oh, son, I've loved you so. I've loved you more than you could fathom. You can let go. I want you to obey him. That's how you can show him your love. Trust him and obey him. Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, your ways are so much higher than our ways, your thoughts than our thoughts. The measure of your grace unfathomable to us, Lord. Saints that have walked longer with you taste more, but Lord, we'll taste afresh of this forever, more and deeper and better. And But Lord, it is our prayer tonight that you would help us all to comprehend with all the saints the length and breadth and height and depth of the love that you have for us, this love that surpasses our understanding. Lord, help us to understand, to get a bigger piece of this in our souls. And Lord, help us to live out of that relationship. Help us to really live in relationship with you. And Lord, help us, out of great love for you, out of fear of you, to obey better, to wrestle with us as Jacob wrestle in our souls, Lord, those things that we should be doing that we're not doing, or those things that we ought not be doing we should, that we should let go of, Lord. May faith win out, increasing measure of faith, uh, because we do love you. We really and truly do. Help us to show it, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.